0: Here's the host of the Talent Talk radio show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer.
1: Good afternoon. It's Tuesday. It's one o'clock live here. And that means it is time for Talent Talk. And I'm very excited to have two wonderful guests on the show and for us to be able to talk about talent and culture and all of the things that go into, uh, I guess, being an exceptional person and being an exceptional manager or an exceptional leader. Uh, And hopefully we can dive into all of those topics, Um, you know, and this show is really meant to be this place where, you know, I used to back when, you know, before we had COVID, but even before that, I would go to shows, I would go and, and learn from people and hear what they had to say. And then hopefully, you know, pull them off to the side in the corner and ask them a few more questions, right, and get that, get a little bit of that time to kind of pick their brain and to maybe push, push some buttons and see if I might discover a truth, discover something really important about how we need to work and how we need to lead, and and it was the that sort of interaction that inspired me to come and start this show, so that we could have these conversations publicly. We could, you know, kind of go back and forth and allow everyone to listen in and hopefully, you know, gain some insight, so that I'm not the only one hearing this sort of amazing bits of advice and wisdom from these leaders. Um, so many of their stories were uh, so I think so valuable to the audience that we put them into my first book, The Power of Company Culture. And it is a great set of of all kinds of stories and lessons and what you have to do if you wanna have an exceptional culture. You can find that on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And don't forget, we will be announcing a really a huge promotion for my next book, Remote Work, where you'll be able to participate uh, and be able to buy the book in advance uh, and have a lot of really cool prizes and giveaways that are gonna go along with that. More about that soon. So. Uh, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and you can follow us, uh, as most of you do, is actually in the podcast version. So, you know, a handful of you do come in live, and we appreciate our avid live listeners. But many of you get us on the podcast when you're on the Peloton or uh, maybe driving in the car or whatever it may be. So don't forget to subscribe wherever you find us, iTunes, iHeart, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever is good for you. Just subscribe so you never miss an episode um, and don't forget, most important for our live listeners today, or even those of you who are listening, I guess, relatively uh, recently after the show's been published, that uh, you can go to Twitter and follow us at peopleg 2 or use the hashtag talent talk, all one word. And we have all of the best one-liners, all the bits, really good pieces of advice and quotes, maybe links to profiles of our guests, links to books, anything that came up that you probably wish you would have written down We have written it down for you uh, there on the Twitter feed. So uh, as long as it's not probably three or four years later, uh, it's probably pretty easy to find uh, those comments fresh on the feed if you go to that uh, uh, account, at PeopleG2. All right, my guest today will include a corporate culture expert, uh, and a keynote speaker, author, and CEO of Aprinio I hope I'm saying that right, uh, Larry Olson. And then after the commercial break, we'll bring in uh, Maurice Fuller. He's a staffing technology expert and founder of Staffing Tech. So two things I love to talk about, culture and also staffing. So let's go ahead and bring in uh, Larry. Larry, welcome to the show today.
2: Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate uh, being on it. I'm looking forward to it today. Thank you. And how do you say your company's name correctly? I feel like I maybe mispronounced it it's a, a perneo it's a perneo. An aperture of a camera it's how the image gets ah, in. neo and yeah. latin for new so all right well that's new very clever so uh, a-p-e-r-n-e-o
1: for any of you who are uh as challenged when it comes to spelling <laughs> as i am uh in case you need to go look it up and find it but thank you so much for being on the show today how are things in uh sunny arizona
2: uh absolutely beautiful we're uh we're enjoying the nice weather getting out as much as we can and uh uh, this is this is what it's all about this time of the time of the year this time of year. Well why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself
1: uh, what's important for us to know you know about who you are and the kind of work that you do and and probably how you got into
2: being fascinated about culture as well um, well it, it kind of goes back to uh, to when my sister was born, which was a few years back. Um, she was three years older than I was and my parents thought that something was wrong so they had her tested. And they stamped a label on her forehead—not uh, literally, but uh, we know the power labels—and it was mentally delayed. And it was interesting to grow up with someone who had been basically been stigmatized, not on purpose, but our society really wasn't very adept at handling that type of uh, type of situation. So. What happened with me is I got very curious and I and I started to get into the neurology of the brain at a very young age, trying to figure out what was going on with my sister. And then as I got into business growing up, I started to recognize that there were a lot of people that weren't being heard. And I became very mm-hmm. sensitive to that because my sister wasn't being heard and and she was being labeled. And then I Got in, as, as I grew deeper into the studies, I realized that we all come into this world with, with a multitude, billions of neurons with very little information in. Genetics plays about 18% of who we are, and the rest is learned behavior. And so as people start to work with one another, the la- same labels start to take place. And when they start to take place with leadership relative to how they feel about their people, they end up limiting themselves to what's important and what's possible within an organization. So that being said, uh, I put a program together that kind of gets below the radar and helps an organization with all of their skills and all the programs that they have going on currently to really have an audience, to make sure that the individual who's participating is all in. And that requires, needless to say, some, uh, some practices, some skill sets, all of which are easy to learn, where we begin to find out what their story is, what their interests lie. And really make it more about them because they are the ones that are making it happen within our organizations. Well, what a
1: powerful story that you took, you know, something that happened to you very early on. And I think this is true for a lot of important leaders that have had some experience, whether it be positive or it be negative or be difficult, right? And it kind of shapes them. I mean, how I, I many doctors and nurses have I met that grew up with someone that was ill in their home, right? And so that. Uh, they inspired them to to continue on that work or whatever. So uh, it's fascinating that you sort of took what happened to you and, and your sister and then realized maybe it wasn't happening to the same degree, but it was happening at some level to people as well inside the organization that may, they had some struggles or some uh, labels or whatever it may be, but um, maybe you could kind of start to dive in for us. So you had this sort of idea or fascination around neurology, but how does that fit then into, I guess, if you're a leader out there and you're thinking, well, how do I help my people, you know, be more successful? Or maybe we look at this from a performance-driven strategy. What does that look
2: like? Well, you know, that's a great question because everybody wants to improve their business. And and it's, it's really interesting, the most successful one to improve the most, which I have learned through the years. I used to work with broken companies and it was Unfortunately, they had labeled themselves as broken, so all they were doing was fixing. And when you get involved with a high-performance organization, no matter what its size is, the real edge becomes when they recognize what's really going on that I'm not aware of. And that whole element of what I'm not aware of is is almost like, I've used this example before, but going to a party and you're trying to enjoy yourself, but everybody's reacting a little oddly to you. And... You know, you're checking yourself out. You know, to, you know to, I put on some aftershave. You know, I I think I pretty dialed in. And about three hours into the party, somebody walks up to you and says, hey, you got spinach in your teeth. Now, think about this, Chris. You find that three hours into the party, who are you upset with? Everyone else you talk to, right? <laughs> yeah. Why the hell did they tell me? You know, are you upset with the one who pointed it out? No. No, like, thank you
1: for finally telling me. I you know what I mean? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah.
2: Now, this is this is how easy transition could be in a company. When I went into the bathroom, how difficult was it for me to get the spinach out of my teeth? He yeah. said cake. The piece difficulty lies in not being aware of it. Right. And as we know, those are called scotomas, as you're probably aware of, which is Greek for blind spot. And every individual, no matter what level they're at in a company or what position they're playing has these blind spots as well. And so what we do is we help people identify those and a best way to identify them is where do I know is a limitation? Who do I know can, is only capable of who am I aware of that, uh, you know, can really rock and roll. And then I make assumptions that that's happening in 360 degrees in their lives, which is very rare. And as we begin to, first start with ourselves and what's the possibility for me? How have I begin to start identifying not only what route I take to work or which, whether I perform Zoom or Zencaster or whatever the case may be. These are all decisions that the brain has made for us because at some point we found them significant. And this is how our amygdala works, fight, flight, freeze. It protects us so we can propagate the species. But what most people aren't aware of it's storing everything that's ever happened to us since we popped out of the womb. So when we go to make a decision, we're making it on 95% of the time, the past. Now mm-hmm. that's nothing wrong with that. But how does that allow us to grow? How does that allow us to, which my company is all about, is achievement acceleration. You know, we're all going to grow and some through the market. Others are gonna make the market. And the difference again, lies in vision. And vision can be a word that's beaten to death and some people are even um, a little snide about it. But what vision really is, is owning the end result before you arrive. And how we go about doing that is the same way we went about developing all these attitudes that we have. And again, those are learned behaviors, but guess what percentage of performance our attitudes have on our performance, hundred percent. Don't kind of affect it, absolutely dictate it. And so when you go into an organization, what you're really looking for is what are the current attitudes that are happening? And that doesn't mean they're negative. It just means that they are influencing behavior at some level. And it's not really cycle babble, and it's not difficult. It's just developing an awareness that how long would it take for you and I to make our minds up about one another?
1: Yeah, Well, if we think about blind spots, I mean, there are those blind spots that are like the spinach in your teeth, right? You can sure. go and quickly fix it. I think about, uh, I've often gone in and talked to organizations and said, you know, help them with active listening, right? So it, teaching them a skill, right, where they cannot be sort of sucked into that easy thing of like wanting to respond right away, right? And we're sure. not listening to respond, we're listening to understand. There are things sure. that people can learn. You bet. Um, uh, there, there are these other behaviors. I think that people can adjust to, but there are also maybe some other blind spots that are either much harder to undo, or might even be um, impossible to undo. So, can, can you? Do you have like some stories there? Like, are there certain ones that are tend to be pretty easy for people to to think about, and are there ones that maybe are much harder? Right? Because I, I think maybe leaders have this sort of certain leaders have a, maybe a fixed mindset that like, well, that person is just difficult. That person's just this way. And nothing I can do is possibly ever going to help them. Absolutely. Um, you know, is it a combination of both or is it are all blind spots potentially fixable?
2: I, I, I believe they are. I believe there isn't one that isn't fixable. And it's, it's kind of like that old joke. How many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is one, but the light bulb has really got to want to change. Yeah. <laughs> and so we have got to have a participant, we've got to have someone in our company mm-hmm. that wants to assist and accomplish in our vision, wants to be a part of our purpose, wants to work for something greater than self. But if an organization brings consultants from the outside in and then unbeknownst to all the rest of the associates puts this vision together in this purpose, they're going to end up in a drawer you're not going to develop any buy-in whatsoever because you haven't allowed the people that are going to implement it to participate and that is absolutely critical. And then you get into the skill sets of what kind of listener are they as they're receiving information and that's got to be got to be educated as well or you take someone who's still thinking the same way and you're trying to introduce them into a new way of thinking, you know, it creates obstacles to begin with. So I I, I had a, and you've probably experienced this. Um, one of the things that I've put together is a program called Life, which is Lessons of the Fundamentals of Excellence. And before I start with a client, everybody goes through the education from the owner to the individual that locks up at night. And I had a gentleman in there that didn't want to be there, absolutely did not want to be there. This was a, an account, it was Pepsi at the time, and, and um, he had to go. And so you can imagine his body language and tone of voice. And I do an exercise at the end of the night when they go home and it's, and it's called um, a 10 and what you have to do is you imagine that no matter what happens to me this evening, I'm simply going to say, I'm going to make it a part of my 10. So if I get a flat tire, it's not there goes my 10 or if something bad happens, well, you know, what do you expect? And I'm just going to maintain it. And what happens the next morning when we talk about it, people recognize the power of vision that if they're looking through something, they have a frame of reference to make decisions. In companies, the optimum is I make decisions with my frame of reference being the ultimate goal the organization is attempting to accomplish. And if I'm fully engaged in that, we know that the chances are likely we're gonna exceed expectations as an organization. So this guy that was fighting it, next morning I started everybody out and I said, who'd like to share how it went last night? And this is one of the favorite parts for me because the stories are unbelievable. the guy in the back raises his hand and he goes, I did your stupid exercise. <laughs> and I go, to, you know, my, my talk and conversation inside my head is like, oh, this is going to be good. And he goes, you know, I, I did what you said. No matter what happens, how do I keep my 10? And I'm driving home and all I want to do is get into the house, go to my study and, and, and watch this TV show that I love. And it was a rerun, by the way. And he said, so I, so I get into the house and I sit down and my 15-year-old son walks in and he goes, dad, can, can I watch TV with you? And I'm sitting there, God, he doesn't like what I watch. I don't, dang, Larry, he's he's screwing this whole thing up. And because ordinarily, Chris, he would have said, get out of here. And the, that's a scotoma, by the way. And so anyway, his son's sitting there and he's thinking about this. How do I make this a part of my tent? And he goes, no, what? Hey, you can go ahead and watch whatever you want. And as he's got his head down, he's saying, what the heck am I doing? There goes my evening and this darn Larry and this number. And what gets his attention, Chris, is he hears the channels changing. And pretty soon the television goes off and that gets his attention. He looks up and he looks into the eyes of his son and his 15 year old son says, dad, do you think we could just have a conversation? And he goes, Larry, I know what you mean if I hadn't done that exercise, getting home and watching a rerun would have been more important than that time with my son. And that is the first time he and I have had a conversation in over three years. He said, I had a 15 for a night. And that's what's, that's what you get off of. And I do is those aha's people get when they recognize for themselves what they need to do instead of it imposed on them. And that's where real growth and sustainability occurs when that happens well that is a really great story and and try to
1: and i love sort of his his gruffy response right about forcing him to sort of you know (laughs) get out of his comfort zone and yet at the same time he was ultimately happy i mean that's
2: uh, yeah because you you and i aren't gonna we're not out to hurt anybody for crying out loud (laughs) right we want people to be better and we want the companies to rock
1: right right well, it's so amazing how, you know, the smallest changes, this sort of, you know, getting uh, people to think about things. And I think you brought up a great point about, in your light bulb joke, you know, people have to be willing to want to change and willing to be open. And that's often, I think, the hardest thing that leaders have to think about doing is how do we put people in the right frame of mind? And how do we get them to think about uh, being open to new ideas now uh, and i would love to sort of give your feedback for for me with the advice i've often given people is twofold first is you have to get them more information right if we give people more information they're more likely to then have understanding and to have more acceptance and to go along with maybe the path we want to take them down now there there are some challenges there right you can't uh if it's a bad idea, it doesn't matter how much information I give you. If I say, let's go, yeah. you know, jump into this pool of great white sharks, it'll be fun. No matter how much I tell you about the great white shark and how what his name is, you're still going to say, I'm not getting into that pool. I mean, that's just, <laughs> right.
2: But I'll watch out it goes for you.
1: Right. But if it's a good idea and I give more information, people tend to have more acceptance and, that, and they'll move down that path. So yeah. that's usually the area that's a transparency pillar you know that people just don't understand what you understand as a leader, and so there's that gap. But absolutely, the, the second part, though, and I think this one is super easy, is that people are, can be in a bad state of mind. The best okay. person in the world can be in the bad state of mind and not really ready to be open to thinking about change. If we don't think about cognitive biases and the you ones bet. that I would think about is like: are they hungry? Are they cold? Are they hot? Are they distract? I mean, is there yep. something else going on where their brain power is sucked into returning them back to happiness, right? Just yep. basic creature comforts. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And so are those good places to start or do you think maybe we should be thinking about other things, right? To sort of make sure they're in, I don't know if we call it homeostasis or at least just in a state of mind where they can even think about change. Sure,
2: absolutely. And that's one of the most, you know, common questions I get is what do you do when you find somebody who's not bought in or is having a bad day or is, or is a dark hole that all the energy of the room is being sucked into them? Because that can really interrupt the opportunity for morale and and product productivity. And what you said is spot on in the sense of making sure they understand because understanding is so essential. One of the things that I have found is is, is to ask them what's going on. I mean, to have a conversation, but intent is everything. If you're upset by what they're doing and then you have the conversation, nothing positive is going to come from that. All you're going to create is defensiveness. So when you sit down and go, hey, you know, I noticed that you seem to be a little off today. What's going on? Now, if you don't get response back that you'd like, well, take that personally because that's a trust issue. Mm. Maybe you're not doing this enough or maybe you're uncomfortable with it. Are you uncomfortable though when you're in a relationship and it's not going right and you want to find out if you've done anything wrong or is there something I can do to improve it? More often than not, no. Well, take that same mindset and bring that to your people because they have the same needs as anyone else does. And more often than not, and this is another challenge we face, 95% of corporations motivate from fear, even today. And when I define fear, it's not necessarily that you have a gun to their head to get them to go to work, but fear is a sense of loss. That if I don't come to work, I'll lose being respected. If I'm not on time, I won't be able to participate in the bonuses. And that is very effective because that's the fight flight fear mechanism that we all have. And, and it, we can get people to respond, but we can't get performance we get people just to do enough to get us to shut up. So when someone's challenged, find out what's going on in their life. Just like you said, you know, what's the set and setting? I mean, are they ill? Do they they have a fight at home? Somebody's late for a meeting. Rather than punish them, why don't you find out why they're late? And I will guarantee leaders out there that 99 times out of a hundred, you'll be glad you found out why they were late before you made a big issue out of it in front of everybody else now who's the one who has the I'm sorry to come up with yeah so you know as you know that people don't go out of their way to make mistakes on purpose so something is going on yeah and i agree with you find out yeah.
1: And that's, it's so important just to ask those questions. Well, yeah. I know we're, we're almost out of time here. This is uh, actually flown by. So I want to make sure we ask you two important questions. Okay. The first one is, is there a book that you're reading these days that you might uh, suggest our readers or our listeners check out?
2: Yeah, I, they could check mine out, which is a It's always a good read. Uh, you go to a perneo and uh, it's not on Amazon. You go to a perneo and you can purchase it through our shop. Um I've just been kind of playing back again with Dino and uh, just finished the greatest salesman in the world I've read all his books but that was years and years ago and I think I think getting into intent and making sure we're in alignment in our own life as far as how we're feeling about what we're doing can make all the difference in the people that we interact with
1: yeah and final question how can people get a hold of you how can they find out more about you and your company if they're interested in working with you
2: Thank you. Great question. Um, they go to a Pernio again, and uh, all the information they need is in there. my, um, the phone number, how to get a hold of us, uh, if you have a question and, um, there's no, there's no selling at all because I have found that if it's not a fit, then there is no, but neither one of us is going to win. So it's a real nice conversation to find out if there, if there is an opportunity for that kind of growth within your company. And, um, if you're comfortable with, uh, you know, participating with me and my and my folks.
1: Well, fantastic, Larry. I really appreciate you being on the show. Hopefully, we can have you come back at some point and get us. We can finish with all the other questions we didn't get to today, because we our conversation uh, went pretty deep into the one part. So I really uh, look forward to having you back on again sometime soon.
2: Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure, and uh, you got a great show. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. We'll right back after this quick commercial break, and we'll bring in my next guest, Maurice Fuller.
3: Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com.
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Larry Olson, you'll be able to check out his interview on our podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. Heck, you can even go to TalentTalkRadio.com. That's a great place to find all of our episodes in the last, I don't know how many years we've we been doing this, six years, five years, it's been, for, been a long time now. All of these episodes are there uh, and you can easily find them or listen to them. All right, uh, don't forget, we're also live tweeting this. So follow at PeopleG2 or the hashtag TalentTalk. My uh, social media guru, Angela, is constantly updating it with the best quotes, the links to profiles, links to books, everything that you may wish you could have written down while you were listening we have written down for you there as we're live tweeting. And we encourage you to, to respond, to reply, to ask questions of myself and the guests as well to keep that conversation going. All right, my next guest is Maurice Fuller, founder of Staffing Tech. Uh, Maurice, welcome to the show today. Chris, thanks for having me. Absolutely, well, why don't you introduce yourself, tell everyone a little bit more about you and what you do, what's important for us to know about, about your work.
4: Sure. Um, Well, I am the founder of the Staffing Tech Conference, and uh, we do uh, in-person events and uh, digital events uh, focusing on the future of staffing technology. Um, I also uh, provide uh, strategic uh, consulting services. I advise a wide range of staffing firms on their technology platforms. I provide uh, fractional CTO services, and I help staffing firms select uh, technology platforms really interested in talking today cuz certainly my business is connected into the staffing
1: world as we are a vendor to staffing companies and uh, i've had the privilege of speaking at a lot of staffing conferences and uh, it's a really fun industry uh, uh, fast moving <laughs> yeah <very laughs> a, very, and 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 the technology and everything there i think they're one of the industries that i think have done such a good job of staying on top of and driving really innovation and change you would think the HR space would would be doing the same, but it feels like they're a step behind, in my opinion, to where staffing has taken some of these technologies and responses to really move talent uh, correctly com- with the right compliance. But usually, for most m- for the most reason is they want to get people, you know, butts in the chairs very quickly. <laughs>
4: yeah, well, that's the difference between staffing and recruiting as as a profit center versus staffing or recruiting as a cost center. Yeah, staffing firms are highly motivated. And almost by definition, they have to be better and and more efficient than than uh, what's happening um, within corporations. So they have to move fast if they want to survive and be successful. So with all of this technology moving so quickly and mm. I really rapidly,
1: and of course there's been this last year of change and there's been another set of uh, of, of sort of I guess uh, priorities put on to these different groups. Uh, from COVID, from the government agencies, from mm-hmm. from everything, right? What are you seeing? What does this mean for
4: staffing and recruiting right now? It means uh, there's a lot of things that are going on right now in, in staffing and recruiting. And, and there's some big macro trends, I think, that's important for people to understand. One is just the acceleration of change. We've seen a lot of change just in the last decade, but in the next decade, we should expect to see twice as much technological changes we've just been through. A really good way of thinking about that is just looking at your phone. Think about the phone you have today, compare that with the phone that you had a decade ago. There's just massive changes in terms of the performance of that phone, how fast it is on the network. You probably have a hundred to a thousand times more applications and each one. So acceleration of change, coupled with um, the amount of money that people are are spending now on technology over the next decade as a percentage of GDP is expected to double. So 5% of spend uh, GDP is currently on technology, a decade from now it will be 10%. Coupled with explosion of applications in staffing means that the industry is becoming more and more technology-based. Staffing firms that have traditionally been doing everything manually are becoming technology businesses driven by software. And the amount of automation that we're going to experience in the next several years is just astonishing. There's so many things that are coming together at this point uh, that will make staffing firms much, much more automated than they've ever been in the past. Yeah, and and
1: that's, as you sort of mentioned, right, since that's profit-driven, since they know if they can get better, they can get faster, if they can make the user experience better and that user experience is not just the client, it's also the applicant, right? Can their experience in that entire you know, process of going from not having a job to having a temporary job uh, very quickly. Um, yep. All of that is so, so important. And then, you know, can we mitigate all of the compliance issues and can we make sure it's done correctly avoid the lawsuits and avoid, even if it's not a lawsuit, just, you know, things not being done correctly for both of your stakeholders. Absolutely. It, it's huge. It's huge. And there's still so much for them to do. So it's exciting to kind of think about it. Maybe, maybe what are some of the top technology trends that you think will ultimately, I guess, transform staffing and recruiting over the next few years? Are other things that maybe people haven't heard of that are starting to pop up?
4: Yeah, I can take you through a, a list. Uh, we issue a, a report every year on the top 10 staffing technology trends, and I can take you through it pretty quickly. So the first is um, mobile-first staffing, meaning everything that you're doing within your staffing firm should be optimized for that mobile experience because that's how your candidates and your employees are interacting and engaging with you. So all your IT investments should be focused around that. Conversational systems, we're talking about bot, are becoming very sophisticated very quickly, a very exciting part of the future. And I'll talk about that in the context of AI, AI is also, we're going to see that more broadly, making its way very gradually into staffing and recruiting, but only recently have I really seen significant advancements in AI that are really exciting. Digital marketing for staffing firms is going to become very, very important. As staffing firms become more software firms and more technology firms, the digital marketing component is going to be extremely important for finding candidates and finding clients we are also going to see sort of an explosion of data. Data is coming from all kinds of different sources that have to be managed. So building up new capabilities around business intelligence, data warehousing, analysis, and predictive analysis is going to be super important. 5G, believe it or not, actually is a really important trend for the staffing and recruiting industry because as we have faster communications, we're going to be able to make that virtual and physical distinction increasingly go away. And we'll be able to do all these new use cases like virtual reality and augmented reality and all these new forms of connecting with human beings. Hyper automation, that's the idea that staffing firms are becoming very, very automated through automation tools. Digital engagement, the idea that we are shifting from mostly communicating through humans, email, text directly, where more and more is just digital, digital engagement that's happening automatically through AI. A couple more trends, something called autonomous staffing, where placements are made automatically without recruiter intervention once the candidate has been fully qualified. And then the last is building a remote first environment where the remote environment for recruiters and your entire staff is as good as the environment as if you're directly working within the office. We have seen
1: even just small improvements in any of those different areas that you've mentioned have made such a huge impact on staffing and recruiting world. I mean, just to even give you an example, my company, we have a mobile platform that allows the applicants to process their own background checks. So staffing company needs it. And we found, we were shocked to see, it was 400% faster that the applicant was getting from start to finish just because they were on their phone, right? So they got a text. So they immediately filled out the information that we needed. They didn't mm-hmm. wait until they got home or waited until they got it on a computer that they could use because often they're using a work computer and they're not comfortable filling out an application on a work computer for their next job yeah. right so they would do it on their phone and then they could get all the information and be kept up to date with you know what was the next step and if we needed more information right mm-hmm. all that intermediary stuff disappeared we didn't have to go to the recruiter to come back to us to back to them we would all directly and then the ai component i wouldn't call this smart ai this is probably pretty basic ai but you know, it, ask the applicant, I see that you're in Houston, Texas. Is that where you mm-hmm. live? Yes, that's where I live. Well, the entire compliance experience, right, on what release form they get and what they're required to fill out is all based on where the, them, not here's 500 pages to fill out because we're hoping it covers all of the possible scenarios that you could be in, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, the experience was about them. And so that helped everything go faster and be better. And I I mean, I'm just like one little tiny speck Mm -hmm. of dust on the on the sand of this you know experience and i'm seeing that so it's fascinating to see how much of this process can better and one of the things that you just mentioned that was really interesting is the self-placement that you might be able to have these jobs start being placed once they've been qualified without that human being there to sort of pick them up and place them yeah do you think that obviously that's going to allow for maybe quicker fills but do you think that may help us in other ways does that help maybe them with their diversity goals or being able to place people you know sort of remove some of the biases and things that we still see in inside of hiring as well does that a maybe
4: a, a use you know, case? that's there? a fascinating question actually um and i'm glad that you asked that because these um matching algorithms once the candidate is set up in the system based on their qualifications those matching algorithms should be completely agnostic as to who they reach out to. And they're, Mm -hmm. they're, they're mostly rule-based. I know that bias in in AI is something that we really need to pay attention to. And we're learning so much about biases within hiring processes. Even, even now I'm talking to vendors, we're discovering all kinds of interesting things. For example, I was talking to a vendor that was analyzing interview length they have noticed a a difference in the length of the interview for different types of people. But yeah, I think it's a very good point. I think the the hiring process will be far more um, agnostic and, and, and unbiased. Yeah. And I think where we've seen bias being built into AI is if you go back and
1: say, well, who do we currently have that, you know, fits our profile and is our perfect candidate? Well, if your Mm -hmm. perfect candidate only represents one possible version of your entire talent pool, then you're building in bias, right? You're saying, yep. well, that only this kind of person can work here and that's a problem. But if you remove, if you say, I need someone who has two years experience in this and has this quality, maybe they've taken some sort of an assessment. They have this type of personality, whatever. Then it doesn't matter what school they went to. It doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't matter what their name is. It doesn't matter. None of that. It just, do we meet these qualifications? So if we build it right, it can exactly. work really, really well. And if we build it wrong, it's just going to make a bad problem worse.
4: <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I and provided they're set up correctly within within the system by the recruiter initially, uh, and there was no bias built into that, then yes, it should operate relatively bias-free. But you know, we're always learning about how we can refine that and make that more perfect. Well, I think that's one advantage that we have here
1: with this sort of rapid change in technologies, that if we remember to go back and measure... Technology generally is measuring as it's going. And we're looking at those measurements. We can make adjustments. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you what my 500 recruiters were thinking in those thousands of decisions they made. I have no way to have a real analysis on what's happening or not happening. But if yep. we allow technology to have a bigger play and that we can, thousand applicants and geez, only 2% of African-Americans made it through the process. There's something wrong there. we can make a change, right? Because we're measuring that. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. I maybe, to... maybe some good news for the future then.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's exciting. And it, it, and we're making lots of progress in terms of, of being able to increasingly optimize the hiring process and get more people employed into the right jobs. Now, what do you think about some of the, uh, there
1: have been these new players, especially in the recruiting space, uh, very high tech. That are essentially creating a lot of automation. I, I've seen my son go through this as he was looking for, you know, his first job. And there's these little, the whole process is sort of recruiterless, right? Mm-hmm. And my perspective right now is it it probably works well in certain positions, but the lack of having that person there yeah. to really help help them has been a hindrance for particular jobs. Maybe it's a really good thing for high turnover. Just get the bodies in, get them out are you seeing that there needs to be an improvement there or is that, am I wrong? Is that taking off and is that the wave of the future?
4: It's absolutely the wave of the future, but there's also, I think significant room for improvement. Like a lot of these Mm -hmm. systems are being uh, developed and they're being refined. So what we're going to see in the future of recruiting is more and more engagement through conversational systems and chatbots. The recruiter will only become involved on an exception basis. So there might be four touch points along the way where a recruiter is directly involved. So you you go through the chat bot experience and maybe some other things, and then you have a conversation with a recruiter and maybe there's more screening. And then you go back to more, more automation and then you reconnect with a human being. But you should at any point along the way, be able to opt out and say, hey, I really wanna to talk to a human being um, and get the, that kind of assistant along the way. So if we can combine both worlds, the efficiency of, of the automation and the workflows and the robotic process automation, combine it at the right point with human beings that step in to add value and to be available, then then we can accelerate the process and make it better for everyone. I'm using my son as an example again. I mean, he, there were some systems where once he had
1: his resume in there and his information in, he could just click the button to apply. He didn't have to fill out all of that same information over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Which, applicant fatigue and certainly, you know, having the applicant be able to apply for more jobs in a quicker amount of time to find the right thing for them. I think that's a good, sort of a good use of of technology. On the flip side, they've got to be able to handle that volume, right? And be able to connect people
4: very quickly and be able to place them very quickly. So a lot of room to grow. (laughs) That's where another piece of technology, um, sort of this matching technology that then matches up candidates that are flowing in or coming in from their ATS, matches up with a job description and then sort of move candidates forward through the system that way. So different pieces of technology different stage of the hiring process will increasingly automate that end-to-end process um, and elevate the role of the recruiter at, at, at key points along the way. Is there a sort of a, maybe an economic
1: scenario that where you think, given what we have right now, given what we know and all of the technology changes, that maybe staffing, recruiting isn't quite ready for yet, meaning high unemployment or uh, high employment, or you know other other factors we think that maybe if we get into one of those situations that we
4: they still have a lot of room to grow that's an interesting question you know with staffing traditionally when we go through a recession staffing firms trim down significantly i've i've seen many staffing firms take out half their H, hq staff during a recession and then rebuild that back up what what i see happening is as we move more and more towards automation and we scale through processes in the cloud that you can scale up your software or scale it back down. And your core staff, you may not have to scale that up or down quite as much during recessions Mm. because increasingly your staff is gonna be technical, more software developers, integration specialists, database engineers, fewer recruiters, um, fewer salespeople, but more technology kind of people within your firm. The way we scale up and down will will be scaling up and down software processes largely. Yeah, that, that's interesting because right now they are very heavy in that
1: sort of minutia of staff, right? Of people who are helping and handling all of these things. And if, you know, I guess it's just sort of I, minutia is the only word I can think of. It's just all that sort of junk it takes to get somebody from point A to point B from into a job. And it, I guess if more of that can go away, they'll need them less. And probably another, just another example of why I guess the next generation of of employees really need to think about being savvy in, in tech and coding and in programming and those types of jobs because it's going to i think that's where we're going to see the growth and maybe a real shrinkage inside of the administrator type of, of role right uh, or even recruiter role that kind of handling the button
4: pushing because hopefully we won't need to be doing so much of that it's the future for recruiting is actually really exciting there's so because most recruiters don't really want to deal with the minutia and the transactional things they want to work at a high value they want to be able to cons- coach, consult, advise candidates, negotiate with candidates. That's where they're working at their highest level of value-added. But when they're just doing minutia, it's it's not, it's not uh, the best use of their time. And and um, recruiters they sense that you know they 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 know what they are best at and where they want to focus their time.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe uh, we've sort of talked about the near future. What do you say? Maybe give us some examples of companies that are really doing some stuff that maybe in 10 years from now, what, what
4: are we thinking about will happen in, in 10 years? Yeah. That's a really interesting question. So if you look at um, the automobile industry and you look at the transition that automobiles are going through right now, it's like the biggest change in, in the industry ever, like going to electrification. And so... Tesla kind of pioneered that. If you drive a Tesla, you know that's kind of the car of the future. Everything's moving in that direction, but it wasn't immediately clear. And then it became clear, and everybody wants to be Tesla now. So you've got Ford, and you've got VW, and you've got Hyundai. They've got these ma- these really cool electric cars that are coming along. Then you've got Apple that's taking that to another level altogether in the second half of this decade, where they're going to put an autonomous driver layer on top of that. So electri- electrified and you won't be driving your car anymore. So that's a huge shift. So think about staffing firms as well. Currently, they're doing everything manually and they're going to be moving into a time period where more and more is done autonomously with fewer and fewer humans. Um, so it's a massive transformation. The, the good news is that staffing firms can do it largely with off-the-shelf technology my point I was trying to make here is that there are, there are companies in the staffing industry that are like Tesla. They are already in the future today. They've built it largely through custom software. For example, in San Francisco, there's a company called incredible health that matches up nurses. So they have a uh, mobile app. Nurses are added into the system. Their, their credentials are confirmed. And then once they're confirmed, then job opportunities come into this app that they can look at, swipe left and right on like a matching app and decide what might be a good opportunity for them. So I think that that is one of the companies that kind of represents the future of where things are moving. You can learn a lot just by looking at companies like Indeed Flex, which are are doing a lot through uh, mobile apps. Certainly Uber is kind of the ultimate uh, example of where the industry is moving, where you essentially put in a job order for a driver and a driver accepts that job order and you have a very short assignment, like 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever long it takes to drive. And then that's the end of it. And, you know, you're hiring somebody in 10 seconds and all the different facets of that hiring process are represented there. You've got um, other companies like Upwork, um, but a lot of it revolves around mobile apps. I think that's a key part of the future is that mobile app.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's a really interesting idea that if you could, uberize a part of that employment sector right could you hire someone to do a piece of work i guess the difference is I mean to be an uber driver you your proficiency is knowing how to drive safely to know where to go I mean the set of skills that you need is very consistent um, whereas if you were to hire someone the training and the what you're having them do could be infinitely more complex than driving a vehicle from point a to point b and following having an apple phone telling you what where to go and what to do <laughs> exactly but but there may be some opportunities where, you know, you could bring in people like that. Maybe you, there are jobs. I'm imagining, you know, answer, customer service calls or uh, scheduling sales calls or, or appointments and things. There are some jobs where you could, you know, bring in some people on a very temporary basis, sort of dial them up, right? Uh, that's a that's a fascinating idea if that someone could figure that out and you had people who could work independently and freely. And when they, it's the same idea that Uber sort of offers, right? Work when you want and where you want and how you want. Mm -hmm. Um, That would be really cool. So, but you know, that does certainly not going to take over for the entire population, but for a particular part of our population who really wants that kind of flexibility, that could be a game changer and certainly a, another big giant business for somebody
4: (laughs) for sure i i I see staffing firms increasingly having a a mobile app and that becomes the key point of interface for their candidates and so just like a taxi driver in a city might have a relationship with uber lyft and a local service i think that candidates might have multiple apps that they're connected with Mm -hmm. and when they're available for assignments they they turn it on they start getting a flow of opportunities and they decide which ones that they want to pursue so that I think the workforce, um, a greater part of the workforce, is going to be able to take on part-time assignments or full-time jobs and and stay connected to opportunities that way.
1: Yeah, and if we allow more remote work, uh, and 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 COVID has really forced people to to now understand that this can work and it's really a great thing. Uh, that can usher in exactly what you're talking about, right? If I don't have to hire this person right in my backyard, if I don't have to bring him into my office and, and I may still want to, that may be still part of it. But if I just need someone to go and do this work or I'm just thinking like, I need someone to review this legal document and I could just have the Uber of lawyers, right? And have a lawyer pop right in, take a look at it, give me their thoughts. They're rated mm-hmm. based on their past jobs. And, you know, I don't have to have a relationship. I mean, there's a lot of applications. I, That's a really fascinating.
4: Small companies can now build up a big organization with all the different disciplines that they need out of fractional employees. Mm -hmm. So you could have your fractional attorney, you can have your fractional accountant, you can have your fractional CFO, your fractional recruiter, your fractional marketing person, your fractional, you know, all these different roles that you can imagine, you know, you can now staff an entire organization cost effectively and get all of that expertise when you need it. Well, Maurice, it's been really fascinating having you on the show, and I love talking. This has been
1: a, one of my favorite shows in a long time because we talked about culture in the first half, and we talked all about staffing tech in the second, two things I love to talk about. So Thank before we much. go, most important question, how can people find out more about you, uh, your conferences? What's the best way for them to reach out and find out more?
4: Um, sure. Check out our staffingtech.com, staffingtech, T-E-C.com, uh website. Um, we, we're uh, planning some conferences this year, or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Maurice Fuller, or I'm Maurice at newvectorgroup.com. Well,
1: fantastic. Maurice, it was really a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank I you. I want to make sure we get you back at some point because we have a, seems like there's a lot more we could talk about. And, sure. And uh, the future of work is, uh, is certainly exciting. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Hopefully, you gain something that you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.